Thank you. Thanks, Leanne. Good morning. It is a pleasure to be sharing with you today. Um, in true mum fashion, I didn't get much sleep last night, and so I am running off Jesus and caffeine. So let's see how we go. But happy Mother's Day to all the mums out there and all those that play a mothering role in someone's life. And um, also, just to acknowledge, today can be a hard day for some people as well. Some people may not have the relationship that they would like with their mum or their mum may not be here any longer. But I hope that you feel encouraged, um, included and welcome today. I am presently a mother of four, presently, I mean, I'm a mother of four. I don't even know why I said presently then. I am having four children and no more. But God did give me the heads up initially what motherhood would be like. So my husband, Caleb, and I had been married for an entire seven days when he presented the idea that he would like to start a family straight away. Now, I wouldn't have considered myself particularly maternal, um, and I had just submitted my PhD about two weeks prior, and that felt a lot like having a baby to me. I stayed up all night for a year, I existed on caffeine and chocolate, and I worked really hard. So the idea of having children straight away for me wasn't, um, wasn't on my radar. But anyway, you know, I thought, okay, well, you know, I gave my life to Jesus, so I prayed, and I said, God, what's your timeline for my life? And I was kind of thinking it'd be one of those prayers that God doesn't say much about. You know how that happens often. I thought, oh, maybe he won't answer, and we'll just go along for a little while. Well, he answered me. And I know he answered me because we were driving through the Champagne region in France, and I was thinking, how many bottles of Moet Champagne and Mum can I smuggle back in my suitcase without exceeding that 22 kilo weight limit? And the voice of God cut across my thoughts. And he said to me, Zoe, it's an honor to lay your life down for another. And I knew that was my answer from God. And my firstborn daughter, Aurora, was born about 11 months later. So I knew that being a mum and motherhood would require me to follow the example of Jesus and lay my life down for others, lay my life down for my children, for my family and those around me. Now, the first baby was like still a giant rude awakening. <laughs> but um, this is what mums do. Most mums do most of the time. They lay their lives down for their children, for their family and those around them. And this is an extraordinary, extraordinary love. To do things that you don't want to do, like iron or cook. They're just my things I don't want to do. Um, or to find work that fits around school hours so you can be with your children after school. The love that mothers show is quite extraordinary. Yet, interestingly, despite this incredible, generous love that mothers show, we can still feel at times like it's not enough. Or I could have done more or I should do better. We all experience what's commonly referred to as mum guilt. At night, my critiquing thoughts will run through my mind, and I'll think, oh, I shouldn't have yelled at Jed like that. Or, oh, I should have been more patient with Eva when she was having that annoying tantrum. Or, oh, I should have been outside watching Noni when she 
climbed up on that chair and then decided to get down headfirst onto the concrete, which happened last week. <laughs> I should have time to wash my face, surely, and do my hair in the whole 25 minutes I was afforded to myself today. And you know what? While I'm looking okay for that fraction amount of time, I should take a picture of myself, write a catchy sentence about it, and post it so it actually counts. <laughs> All the mums know it's true. And to remind people that you're still alive and you still exist, right? People barely see you for those first few years. Now, this question, am I enough? Have I got what it takes? That applies to everybody. It's not just mums and not just parents. It applies to every man, every woman, and everyone of every age, especially young people and teenagers. Am I enough? Have I got what it takes? See, we all live with a discrepancy, so a space or a distance or a gap between who we are and who we would ideally like to be. We live with this gap. And despite the world vehemently telling you otherwise, they have never ever been able to resolve this issue, to resolve this gap, to close this gap. Rather, our culture will often make us promises that it cannot deliver upon, keep us as consumers a lot of the time. And if I have this, if I look like this, if I go this place, if I live this lifestyle, I'll be who I ideally want to be. I'll have the life I'd like to live. But the answer is actually not more stuff. It's not more money. It's not hanging out with the more interesting people, new places. It's not even having success. All you have to do is look a little closer. Look past the carefully curated Instagram profile, because there's little truth found there. Statistics show that in Australia, our happiness has been decreasing since 2009. And that after a point, while some money is beneficial in making you happy, after a point, more money, more stuff, doing more things does nothing to bring you satisfaction or happiness in life. Yet we pursue it constantly. The world remains thirsty. See, this ideal can easily creep in and become the ideal of us as believers as well, if you're a Christian. To have the life that looks a certain way, to look a certain way yourself, to be something, and therefore be happy. But how do we alleviate that low-level internal nag or that, that subtle weight that sits there? Where do we put our effort, our time? Where as a mum do you put that last ounce of energy that you have at the end of the day? C.S. Lewis famously said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Rather than pursue the ever-elusive ideal self, we can pursue Jesus. Rather than pursue the ever-elusive ideal self, we can pursue Jesus. And because it's Mother's Day, all my pictures have little uh, babies and things in them. Matthew 6 tells us, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. 
But it's funny because when we sit in the presence of Jesus, when we're face to face with him, all the things that we think we want, they cease to hold the same value. And then those things that are eternally important begin to emerge. See, if you're a Christian, you love Jesus. If you've you've met him, if you know him, you love him. But unfortunately, in our culture, our sense of what is important can be so quickly and easily muddled. It can get quite confusing. And the things that we truly value sit in the background of our lives. And the things that shout for our attention uh, and make the greatest demands often can sit in the foreground of our life. Are we aspiring for what really matters? How can we ever be enough, do it all? Let me give you a story. And again, Mother's Day, so all my examples are about mothering. But also, I think marriage, parenthood are excellent tools that God uses to disciple us and refine us. I would have thought I heard one amen there. (laughs) So, it was the start of the school year and I thought, I am going to nail lunches. And if you're a mum, you've probably had this thought at some point. I'm going to nail lunches, okay? I'm going to give my kids when they go to school, these nutritionally awesome, complete lunch boxes with all these home-baked goods prepared in them. Now, apparently, setting aside time to prepare food is not my forte. Um, And this attempt lasted about two weeks, but I tried. I even bought little coloured thermos cups that now are in the back of the cupboard. Anyway, but during my attempt, my beautiful daughter, Aurora, who's now 10, brings home her lunchbox in her little 10-year-old hands and says to me, Mummy, why don't you ever make me themed lunchboxes? <laughs> and I was like, themed lunchboxes? She's like, like Encanto themed, or Frozen, or you could do, I don't know, Carnival? And I'm like, and the first thing I thought was, you want me to what? <laughs> what? And then I had... Um, the meatloaf song. I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. <laughs> and now I regret singing that because you're all going to go home with that in your head and nothing that I say. <laughs> now, look, there is absolutely nothing wrong with doing this. Actually, I think it's a very beautiful and thoughtful expression of nurture and of care and of love for a mother to her child. And I know this mum, she's wonderful. But this is me we're talking about, me. So I smiled and I said to Aurora, darling, there is going to be a permanent discrepancy between your actual lunchbox and your ideal lunchbox. (laughs) And mummy may not cook the things that you want, and I may not iron your school dress, just slip that in there while I had the chance. (laughs) But there is something that I think is very, very important, something that I will do for you and I will give my everything to do this well for you. I said, I will show you and I will model to you how to follow Jesus in our world today. See, I may perpetually feel like I could do more or do better, but as long as I do this and I do this wholeheartedly, I know it'll be enough. It'll be enough. Out of all the things that we can do for our children as parents, 
irrespective of their age, the most important by far is allow them to observe and to model how we follow Jesus in our cultural moment today. How to live with Jesus in the foreground of our life as opposed to the background, as so many do. And in fact, I think this may very well be the most important thing that any one of us can do for anyone else. Let's look at a scripture today in 1 Corinthians. This letter was written uh, by Apostle Paul to a church, a group of believers, who were in a city that at the time was intellectually alert, uh, materially very prosperous, but unfortunately quite morally corrupt. And unfortunately, the culture of that time was so strong that it began to infiltrate the lives of believers and find its way inside the church. You know, there's actually quite a few parallels with our our world today. So let's see how Paul encouraged them to live. I'm going to read to you from verse 23, 24, and then jump down to verse 32. It says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Here Paul is saying, not everything you do is constructive for character growth or spiritual life. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And jumping down to 32, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody, everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. See here, Paul reminds them that as believers and reminds us today, there are many things that we can do that are not wrong, that aren't in fact sinful, that you know, are completely permissible, if you like, but they may not clearly model or communicate well what it actually means to live a life with Jesus or following his example. And whilst they might not be wrong or sinful, they are no benefit enabling us to follow Jesus, to find him and live a life with him. You know, he then goes on to encourage them not to let any obstacles for people get in the way of how they could find God. Rather, we have to live deliberately and in such a way that all those watching and all those following our examples may have the chance of finding Jesus too. As you read through the chapter, really what Paul is saying is that the stronger in Christ should protect those who are more vulnerable through their example. The stronger in Christ should protect those more vulnerable through their example. See, the way we live protects people and prepares them around us to their openness to the gospel. You know, for mums, this might be your children. For others, it might be your family. It could be people in our church, uh, Christians of less maturity. We must consider exactly how, what our example does or doesn't do for another. Does it benefit me or my kids to see me cope with bad days by binging on Netflix? Of course not. What's modelled to them is that the way to manage struggle, the way to deal with suffering or negative affect, is through avoidance and distraction. Suffering is something to be ignored until it passes, as opposed to embraced, 
so that it can refine me and draw me closer to God. They do probably see me eat too much chocolate, and that's probably why Aurora and Eva have this stash hidden under their bed. Look, I'm not perfect, and we're all definitely a work in progress. Ultimately, we can't choose for another person, though, can we? We would like to be able to. Who's wanted to make a choice for a family member or a friend or their own child? Plenty of times. But we can help them. We can aid them in making good choices by leading with our example. See, those around us are not just hearers, but they are also observers. And the lessons that people actually learn with their eyes will often penetrate deepest and remain the longest. And this is especially true with families and in the home. And I wish I had another hour to talk to you because I could explain to you how we are shaped internally less by the traumatic and major events that happen to us in life, but more by the subtle messages that are communicated to us every day over time. Ultimately, though, our children will do as we do and not as we say. And ultimately, the legitimacy of Jesus to those around you is seen by the way that you live. So is your faith obvious? Is your messaging of Jesus true? Is it clear? Is following Jesus in the foreground of your life? Now this, don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean we have to do it perfectly or right all the time because that's not an accurate or an honest model either. The other day, Jed had a terrible off-the-scale tantrum. Um, we had just recovered from COVID, so I think he was still feeling a little flat. And I was holding Nova on my hip, who is now just turned one, and she was very sick, fever, crying in my ear. And Jed, was having a tantrum because I didn't place his blanket on him correctly. And he's screaming and getting red in the face. Did I mention it was dinner time? It's always the way, isn't it? Anyway, he's screaming, come put this blanket on me. And I'm like cutting chicken with one hand and a baby with her trying to reach the knife. So it's something like this. And I'm like, just go put your blanket on yourself. And I was really patient for the first 60 seconds. And then eventually I'm like, Jed, just go do your own stupid blanket. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not laughing. He gets so upset, he throws up on the carpet and then like crawls his way off into the bedroom to try and do his own blanket. Goodness me. And all the mums can laugh with me because you've been there. Pretty sure most of you have been there. In fact, we've all been there in some way or another and we haven't been able to exercise self-control. So here's me asking my beautiful little four-year-old boy to practice self-control, and I'm not even modeling it. But I went to him and I said, Jetty, darling, you can't see Jesus with your eyes, but you can see Jesus in me by the way I am with you. And mummy wasn't great there. That wasn't Jesus, that was all mum, not having self-control. And I'm sorry, and I need you to forgive me. I didn't say, you need to listen to me better, so I'm sorry, or shouldn't have done that, but. I just apologize, and even despite my imperfection, I can still reveal an example of Christ-likeness of Jesus. So the question remains for us all, 
Are we following Jesus so that others around us can follow him too? See, back in the first century, when Jesus was alive, he called his disciples and he said, Come, follow me. Come, follow me. At that time, Jesus was best known as a rabbi, which translates to teacher. And a rabbi would travel from town to town with their yoke, which was a first century euphemism for his set of teachings on how to live a good life. So when Jesus called people to follow him, it wasn't, hey, why don't you come see what I have to say when you finish work, maybe finish fishing and tax collecting and let's have a chat. It wasn't even, you know, let's shoot some ideas at each other while I'm in town. And it definitely wasn't like we would consider following today where we might follow someone on social media and then heart or like a photo to show our support. Oh, heart, Jesus cures leprosy. Imagine that social media feed. It was much, much more. Following a teacher back then, and as Jesus asked his disciples to do, was literally 24-7. You would eat with him, you would sleep at his side, you would be with him and observe him all day long, every day, with one goal. And that was to become the carbon copy of your rabbi, to become exactly like him in every way, speak like him, lead like him, live like him, teach like him. Model yourself on your rabbi. There used to be an old Hebrew blessing that said, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And that meant, may you be so fortunate that you can be, follow your rabbi, your teacher, so closely that as you walk upon the roads day after day, the dust from their sandals is all over you. Why this intensity? Because if you could be with your rabbi, you could become like your rabbi a great leader, a great teacher, just like the one you were following. See, Jesus knew that we learn with our eyes and we learn through modelling and watching the example before us. Following Jesus was, and it still is today, firstly about being with Jesus to then become like Jesus, to be with him and become like him. Now, we can't follow him in the flesh, I don't even know if we would have the stamina to do so. But we can follow him by learning to live in a constant state of awareness and connection to the Spirit. See, we can be with the Spirit of Jesus without being covered in dust. We can be that close. We can be with him. We can learn and practice ordering our whole lives around being with him and becoming an example to others. For me... And this has been years in the making and not something that eventuates overnight. I've had to do a lot of learning and probably even more unlearning, if I'm honest. But for me, this looks like slowing my life right down and saying no to a host of things, which is not very easy to do. I order my day, my schedule, in a way that puts my time with Jesus first. And for me, it has to be in the night, because I cannot get out of bed in the morning. doesn't matter how mature I am. I am not getting out of bed first thing in the morning. But at night, I can be with Jesus. And I set it so that my time with him is not compromised or pushed to the sidelines or into the background of my life by my family, by my children, 
by appointments, by work or my fatigue. I teach my children to prioritise church, to be with a family of God who give me the opportunity to be with Jesus and to become like him, to practise that and look despite the organisation that it requires, the crying babies I've held on my hip up the back of services for the past 10 years. I want my children to know that one morning a week is set aside for my king, for my God, and for my family that have the same faith. And if I don't value that now, if I don't build that in and model that and show that as an example, it's very unlikely that my children will be able to do the same as they grow. You know, and one day I won't have the influence in their lives that I have today. And the only place they may hear the word of God is if they actually come to church. So I want to make sure that that's set and that I've set that example for them. We practice Sabbath as a family. So we worship, we read scripture, we pray, and we just delight in God together. I don't vacuum, I don't cook, yay. We talk slowly through deep topics like war and peace. Jed still prays for Ukraine and Russia each night. Um... We talk about secularism and prayer. And what would be the response as a follower of Jesus in these big situations and big cultural issues that we're facing today? Obviously, that's scaled to the 10, the 8, the 5, and the 1-year-old level. In fact, I wasn't going to say this, but it's a funny memory. One of our Sabbaths, the first thing that comes to mind is um, Caleb on all fours around the backyard with um, Eva next to him, teaching them what yoke meant, with a bat across their backs, walking around like oxen. It was very, very funny. But I want them to remember these days. You know, they're only my little disciples for such a short time. My little disciples for such a short time, watching the way I live so they learn how they too can live. And you might only have a short time with those in your family, those in your workplace, those in your uni class, your gym, your school? Is your example one that reflects him? And look, if it was easy, surely we would all do this. We would just be with Jesus all the time. The thing is, you can believe in him, but still not follow him. You can believe in him, but not follow him. We all do the things that we don't want to do, and we don't do the things that we do want to do. Is that right? So I want to share with you, before I finish up today, just three common obstacles that must be overcome, three hurdles that need to be overcome to follow Jesus today. The first one is busyness. For mums and for so many others, we often just feel so maxed out. Is that right? We give out all day or work all day, attending to the unending needs of those that are around us. Sleep deprivation is like a thing, like a real thing that's really hard to deal with. And we often feel so drained by the end of the day that all we want to do is just sit down and watch Netflix or sit down and just do something mind-numbing. We're too tired to pray. But really... We're too tired not to pray. We're too tired not to pray. What we really need is to be in the presence of God. 
Corrie ten Boom once said, if the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. And John Mark Comer adds to this, both sin and busyness have the exact same effect. They cut off connection to God, to other people, and even to your own soul. See, this disconnection with ourselves is such a big problem in motherhood. We don't need a night out, though, or a massage, although I'm, like, all for that. You should do it. Especially if you want to look after other people. But if you're not sure what you want, if you're not sure who you are, or you're struggling with the difference between what you thought your life was going to be, what it was going to look like, and what it actually does look like, then what you actually need is to be in the restorative presence of God. The answer is not out there, but you need to be in the restorative presence of God who restores the connection with him, who restores your connections with other people, and who restores the connection with yourself in a way that Netflix can't, a glass of wine won't, or another activity never will. See, busyness is an epidemic with long work hours to get more money, to live the life that we think we need to live, the distraction of the iPhone, of streaming, of online shopping, of gaming, all of it takes our time and our attention away. And the space that is necessary for deep, or for any spirituality for that matter, is so compromised. You know, it may be your job, it might even be your family, and people don't like to hear that, but it's true. Don't be too busy to follow Jesus. I once had the pleasure of listening to Professor John Lennox speak, and this was over in Washington, D.C. at the Bible Museum, which was extraordinary. Uh, but Professor John Lennox has given his life to explain the Christian faith so people can follow God. And he's impacted many, many lives, dedicated his whole life to it. In the audience, someone raised their hand and said to him, what do you think you will say when you finally get to heaven? And he paused for a moment. And then he said, I think I will say, had I known it was going to be like this, I would have done more. I hear that all the time through my mind and in my heart. You know, I worry sometimes that some of us, myself included, will be too easily distracted by all that glitters and all that shouts the loudest in this world at the expense of what really matters. Following Jesus and letting our lives be an example so that others can follow him too. The second one, trying versus training. Now, please listen carefully, especially mums, because I am not trying to contribute to any mum guilt here today. This is not another thing that you need to try and do. Just ask me about the lunch boxes. Trying doesn't work, okay? It's hard work, and it doesn't last very long. But I tell you what, training does. Don't try, train. I've never been a runner, and when people would say to me, oh, I wasn't a runner, but now I run marathons, I was like, <laughs> that's you, not me. But apparently I was wrong. And I had a goal. I, after Nova was born, I hurt my wrist, and I couldn't do any of the exercises that I was doing. And so I thought, oh, I better run so I can stay fit. And so I started running. 
and I started off with a K one week. The next K, I went to two weeks. Uh, next week, I went to two Ks. And my goal was to get all the way up to eight Ks. And in eight weeks, I was running eight Ks. But don't get me wrong, it was really hard. And the hardest part was actually just getting out there for a run. But if I had gone and just tried to run eight Ks, I would have certainly failed. Because I trained to run eight Ks, it became possible. We have to actually practice following Jesus. We have to set up measurable goals, add five minutes a week, or add a new practice in each time so that we can follow him and follow him well. You might want to start just practicing five minutes of sitting in silence without a screen, without a child, without another person, just breathing in the presence of God. And that might be where you start. The last one is self-fulfillment versus self-denial. You know, I feel like mums and parents are actually quite proficient in denying themselves. Would anyone agree? No. <laughs> but I'm not talking about not looking after yourself. Okay, that's very important, especially if you want to care for other people. But this applies to everyone. I'm talking about denying those things that we all have and that we all do that are of no benefit, that are of no real profit, and of no real longer-term value. Now, every human being struggles with this. And possibly in the West, I think we could possibly struggle more. We live in a culture that is saying, you know, you do you. Please, take, do what pleases you. Do what brings you happiness. Embrace what it is that you want. Satisfy yourself now. If you want to be happy, you are the answer to your happiness. And we hear that all the time. It's the gospel of self-fulfillment. Well, self following Jesus is a lot less self-fulfillment and a lot more self-denial. Yay! Luke 9, verse 23 says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their very soul or their very self? See, the cross is not an emotive, nice, sanctimonious symbol. It's a symbol of death. And if we want to follow Jesus, we actually follow him into death. Luckily, this is largely a metaphorical death here in Australia, not so in other places. But we die by denying our flesh, those basic self-gratifying desires that we have in order that we can be with Jesus and find our God-intended life. Every time we want to be with God, spend time with him, you will have to deny yourself and those desires. Do I spend 10 minutes and pray, confess my sins to God? Do I read his scripture or do I scroll through social media or something on my iPhone? Do I go out for a walk and be in quiet and give God that little bit of space that he might need if he wants to speak to me today? Do I go there and quieten my soul? Or do I stay and watch TV on the couch where it's comfy and warm? Every time we want to follow God, we will have to deny ourselves something. 
but anything of value is worth sacrificing for. Hence motherhood and having children, right? We are able to let go of something that we want in the present in order to gain something that is far more valuable in the future. And what could be of greater value than living a life of following Jesus? Being the example that our children and those that we know around us need and one day being before Jesus and having him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So I encourage you today to identify and deny yourself something that doesn't benefit you and doesn't draw you to God. Something that's not profitable for your character in following Jesus. And substitute it out to sit in silence, breathe God in, and breathe him out. Let him touch your heart, soothe your soul in a way that nothing in this world is able to do. And look, the cost can sometimes feel high. But it's so important that we know the cost is much higher not to, especially to those around you who may be following you. So my prayer for you all this morning is that each of you can say to those around you, whether it be your child, your family, your work colleagues, anyone watching you, your community, follow my example as I follow Christ. This morning as I finish, I'd love to be able to pray for the mums. Can I maybe ask the mums to stand this morning? Let's bow our heads together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for these incredible women who are mothers today, Father God. Thank you for the sacrificial way that they give and the extravagant way in which they love. Thank you that they can lay their lives down for those around them. And Lord, we just pray, empower them, Lord, to continue to lay their lives down for you too, Jesus. We just pray that every mother here is able to make room amongst the demands and amongst the pressures of life in order to be with you, Jesus, to deny the busyness, to deny the self-fulfillment, and to work and grow in their ability to practice your presence, God. And we thank you, Father God, for the example that they set for all those around them, Lord. We pray that people see you in them all the time, Jesus, and that because of that, their faith can grow in you too. Just bless them, Lord. Let them feel refreshed by your presence. In your mighty name, Jesus. Can I please ask everybody else to stand up? I might just pray over everybody this morning. Let's bow our heads again. Lord, we just thank you, Father, that you came, Jesus, and you set us an example of which we can follow. And we thank you because what you did on the cross, that we can still follow you today. We can still be with your presence, the spirit of Jesus, all day long, Father. Lord, we want to make room for you this morning. We want to make room, Jesus, so that you can live in the foreground of our lives and not in the background. We know, Jesus, that we may need to reorder our lives around so we can follow you and follow you well. We thank you, God, that 
that there should be no guilt or shame that comes from you. And if you're feeling guilt or shame right now in any way, that's not Jesus. But we thank you, Holy Ghost, that you do bring conviction. And we thank you, Father, that when we feel convicted, it means that we can come to you and we can talk about our relationship and we can get things right so that we can have greater life, greater freedom and a greater relationship with you. Just right now, for some of us, there may be things that you've thought of during the word this morning. Things that may need to be altered or amended or reviewed so that following Jesus and setting his example is the first thing. There may be some things that have come to mind about how you can deny what's not beneficial or how you can follow in his example greater. I just encourage you, just make room for that. Just let God speak to you. He is good. He's a good father. And his desire is just to draw you to himself, draw you into his goodness, draw you into freedom, and draw you into having a satisfied and full life. We thank you for that, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, again for our beautiful mums here. Let them be blessed today. Let them be refreshed and encouraged. And Lord, we just pray that they're prioritised and feel so uh, loved because of who they are this morning. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Zoe, for that encouraging, honest, funny, (laughs) challenging word. Um, We're going to officially close our service now. So thank you for for joining us. Please stay around for some morning tea. Um, But if you would like prayer for any need whatsoever, please come out the front. If you're new here today, please come out the front and one of our prayer team, one of our pastors would love to just pray with you because we believe in the power of prayer. For everyone... Have a wonderful Mother's Day and we hope to see you next week. Thank you.